0: Does the channel provide value? Focus on the foundation. I am a travel vlogger. It's always about communication. Build those partnerships. What are the problems that you solve for your clients? Just being head on the psychological side of things. Leading an organization. You not only want to survive, but you want to thrive. Thrive. and about how to drive profitable revenue through the affiliate channel. Well, hey listeners, I am Jamie Birch, your host of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast and the CEO and founder of JEB Commerce, an award-winning affiliate management agency. Coming to you today with a great interview with Richard Denny's, the CEO of WebGains Affiliate Marketing Network over in the UK. Before I tell you about this episode, just want to make sure you know that you have help available to you. If you're trying to determine how your affiliate program changes in the current landscape, how you react to new consumer behaviors and new macro factors going on in our space, we would love to help you. Don't forget that you have two ways to get that help. You can email gethelp at jbcommerce.com or you can go to camley.com slash birch. You can set up 15 minutes with me personally, and we can talk about what your problems are. No cost, no obligation, just want to help you out. Something further that we do in addition to the podcast to help everybody out there. So today's guest is awesome. Richard Denny's, the CEO of WebGains Affiliate Network. We dive into a lot of great conversation, everything from his priority in learning, educating his staff, training his staff, but not only his staff, training anybody who wants to learn about affiliate marketing in their academy at web games. It's a really great conversation. And I found that Richard and I have a lot of core values that we share, a lot of experiences. We talk about the Commodore 64 and the Commodore 128 and coding basic in the 80s and everything up to today. We talk about people's hidden superpowers, how to lead in the times that we've just gone through, what that looks like. But We also talk about smart commissioning on affiliate products. We talk about how this channel is definitely a disruptible industry and how investment in the channel has changed things. So we definitely talk about different affiliate models, influencers, things like that. I really appreciated this conversation. It definitely rekindled and re-inspired me to do some things more with our training program that we had intended to do. So Richard, thank you for that. But, you know, I'm going to get out of the way so you guys can listen to my conversation with Richard Denny's. Well, good morning for me. Good evening for you, Richard. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. How are you doing today? Thanks, Jamie. It's great to be
1: here. No, I'm good. I'm good. It's 6 p.m. where I am, so it's not too late. Still still kind of technically working day.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, so one of the things I love doing this podcast for the, the reasons you get to discover new things about people. And usually I'm the OG on the call, on the podcast, but you have been around as long, if not longer. And we share something that I didn't find out until I was looking through your LinkedIn profile in your about section. Okay. We are brothers in Commodore. Okay. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I learned on my Commodore 64, same as you, right?
0: Well, I had a 128. I had the vast upgrade in computing power with the Commodore 128.
1: And we had the the tape machine, you had to press it and wait for the whole thing to load. And yeah, fun time, basic,
0: yeah. I had the immensely large five and a half floppy drive that was external with that, that weighed probably 20 pounds. Okay. Yeah.
1: Those are the days. I mean, you know, you, you think about what you can do now on a phone or even my watch or an iPhone or whatever it may be, you know, this is infinitely, infinitely more powerful than those those times. I mean, I started with a ZX81, which is basically back in the early 80s, what well, middle 80s, and you could self-program it, but I think it was 32K or something like that was the capacity. So you yeah. we were literally doing 10 lines of code and then that was the end of that.
0: Yeah, I actually had to look up what that ZX 81 was uh, yeah. and the Spectrum. That was a little before my time, but I saw the <laughs> Commodore and I went, that. that's like the holy grail, the, the, the legit first computer that we had. And yeah, you're right. I had a cousin who was a computer program man, major at Syracuse at the time. And so she'd sent me books on BASIC. And so I remember like, I just sat there all night <laughs> trying to create things.
1: And you used to get magazines, and they had the the code written down on a piece of paper that you then would type yeah. in and then run it yourself. And it would just last about ten seconds. It'd take you four hours to type it all in.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, and then you'd miss one yeah, uh, one, one, one character. Thing. Yeah, but that's the <laughs> yeah. whole principle
1: of, of of computer programming, right? You need the accuracy. You need you need to not make mistakes. It was a, it was a good grounding, and then you know I moved on, moved on. Atari came along, so that was much more consumptive, and then BBC. Mm-hmm. Microcomputer came in at schools and we had, had to share that. And then at university, we had word processors. But yeah, it was slow and for sure. And then all of a sudden, the whole world changed. My first job, there was no computers in 1988. And then there was, yeah, a couple more places where you had one. And it wasn't a long time until everyone had their own. So yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. And I used to code HTML back in the day and I first websites in 1996. So yeah, I've seen it. Seen the internet come, seen it. Affiliate marketing joined Frey. And, and really, affiliate was the first commercial model. When you were doing commissions, it was before display advertising, it was before search marketing. You know, the referral model was first, CJ and TD and, and the other guys that came along. And everyone frowned on commercial models on the internet. It was all like, no, 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 this is free, this is for everybody, there's no money to be made. And then all of a sudden, people started buying search on, first of all, Yahoo and then Google, and then, uh, yeah, we were all making money.
0: Yeah, that trend of it's not commercial yeah, and then all of a sudden, yeah, it totally is that yeah. kind of continued to echo through you know different partners. I'm sure you've worked with different bloggers are like, no, this is pure. We're not going to monetize. And then one day they're charging twenty thousand dollars fees to be included, and and that you know, seems to be something that's gone over time.
1: It's a circle, right? So you've got OpenAI at the moment. I think I see that they've gone from being the great white thing, saying you know it's all free, and now they're starting to do commercial models. And then even Web three is designed to be you know, the open internet for everybody without commerciality, but, you know, it's coming
0: eventually. Someone will figure out how to monetize and and commercialize that and and uh, keep it growing. But so tell me outside of the the Commodore 64 origin, I'd love to talk about that forever. Mm. Talk to me about how, what's your origin story and how'd you get to uh, affiliate marketing?
1: Gosh, by mistake. (laughs) I've worked in I did a good, I mean, really back in, back in the start was I went to university late. I went at 22. I was working in a bar, in a restaurant, in a seaside town in Devon. And I had enough of school and I didn't, didn't really want to do much and just, just had a good time. And then my brother went to university and I saw, Hey, this isn't just about learning. This is about having a great time. So (laughs) then the Gulf War came 1990 and the economy's just tanked. So there was no work anywhere. No one had any money. So it was a good time to go to university, and and it just so happened that I got in as a textile major, but then I switched to a marketing major uh, in my second year, and really enjoyed it, and then started to do well there, and it just kind of stimulated my brain. And there was one guy who was talking to me about data analysis and Excel spreadsheets, which was well, it wasn't Excel; it was Lotus One Two Three. And I found that I was really drawn to that, and I don't know—it sounds very geeky—and the sort of analytical nature that I had in my brain that was maybe latent. Came through, so I spent the whole rest of my my degree looking at data, and then that led me to a holiday job with a friend of mine's mother, and that sh- and was working on data analysis, and then I carried that through. I just that was my pathway. The next job I started up the, the first website, which is a big accountancy firm, and became at one point the biggest UK website in terms of traffic numbers. It was a it was a, a data analysis on cricket players of all things, and then I moved, I moved west. I was in London, and I moved west to. Uh, very early stage pure play community builder, online community builder. And again, that was all about building websites that were very engaging for other people. And left that to set up my own travel business on online travel. So, learned all about how to start a business. It was back in the days before the word startup or anything was even a, 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 on vogue, it was in 90, uh, nine, uh, 2002. Grew it fast and then it hit the wall in uh, 27. 2007 with the crisis and then started doing consultancy and the, the consultant work I did was a lot of turnaround, a lot of VC, burned money, quickly learned how to turn around businesses. Did that for a while and then along came an opportunity web WebGains and I'd never really worked in or around affiliate at all. I'd I'd run it as a channel with a couple of brands. I'd also rejected it as a sales opportunity for one of the publishing companies I'd worked for because it, you know, it didn't seem like good money in, in advance. And web games came along, and it was just a case of looking at the business, seeing whether or not it was viable, seeing whether we could grow it. And yeah, that was six years ago. So the thing that I found when I first came to web games was one of the things that I could see was that there was business coming through the door. There were merchants and advertisers of brands that you would dream about in any other channel or any other business that were just walking through the door. I won't go into particular names, but they're all very household names. There was 2,000 brands. And having come in from ad tech and previous roles in some kind of web builder stuff, one of those brands would have been delightful, let alone hundreds that were coming in month after month. So the team was very nice. We made some changes, but eventually worked hard on that and then transformed the technology,
0: transformed the branding. Yeah, that's where
1: we are today, really. Um, Doing pretty well.
0: Awesome, yeah, I fell into affiliate marketing by accident as well. Tell us a little bit about web games. What is the USP for web gains?
1: web games is we are very good at what we do. We don't try and do everything. We're not on some kind of imperial overstretch trying to do every sector and every country. we We really do well as a network in the UK, Germany, France, Spain, you know mainland Europe. We have a very settled team. Like I say, we've been around fifteen years a good back end we don't have any problems with, with uptime we have a 99.9%. percent you know we're very very resilient very reliable we don't try and do crazy things we've invested in some ai technology which has been pretty nice it means that we can make it very efficient for our merchants and affiliates to find each other and to make money from each other one of the things that i realized when i arrived was that we were quite rel- reliant on a couple of clients and a couple of affiliates and having gone through you know turnaround situations where i've seen that concentration risk Many times as being almost, the, well, the killer of many businesses, one of the things that we were trying to do was was to balance that out. So we never like it with anyone more than 10% share of our business. And as a result, we've concentrated on a kind of long tail. So I would say 75%, 80%, you know, it's a preto, 20%, 80%. 80% of our business is, is small merchants, is middle market, long tail, SMEs. Not startups, because startups are very, very high risk and they churn a lot. But scale-ups is really where where we are. We offer managed service and self-managed services. So the idea is, and we've got a very, very good staff. We we spend a, a huge amount of our time, money, and energy on on training. Yeah. So we want to. We don't want to be the biggest. You know, we don't want to be the cheapest. We just want to be the best. I know it sounds very trite, but we really try hard on our on our reputation and our and our testimonials and making sure that we've got customer satisfaction scores and we've got recommendation engines and all sorts of things. And I look at all of them, and I and I really do. And we all do as a kind of management team and the account managers and the back end. Everybody takes it very seriously. And we love it when we see positivity from our from our stakeholders. So, you know, our USP really is just to get the job done well at a good price and to, to perform on, on behalf of our clients, advertisers and stakeholders. So we're not flashy. We are just solid, good, reliable, make money for everybody.
0: That's awesome. And I know, you know, we talked on our prep call and I've seen in your LinkedIn post, you guys talk about being the best trained staff and your ethos is never stop learning. So why is that your ethos? Why is that so important for the organization?
1: So if you think about competition, if you think about churn of clients and, and your staff, you know, if you're investing in your people, which is what you have to do to be, you know, a high level service business, you want them to stick around. We found the profile of a lot of our staff are pretty junior their early stage careers they're, they're you know up to sort of in their 20s and the biggest competitor for them is not necessarily our competitors it's other adventures so you know it's people that say actually yeah. I, I've had enough of work I want to go somewhere else I want to go traveling I want to have another agenda and of course before pandemic then that's pretty what pretty much what people do so yeah. we try and make their journey with us on web games as, as more a career adventure I know in my early stage of my career learning was very important but even now I'm still I still am a massive sucker for learning. I love it. I, learn, I try and learn more languages. I I was just learning how to do something just now, and you know, I'm I just, I'm just completely obsessed with a thirst for knowledge. That's what it is, and I, we, we try and attract those people. When we hire them, we give them various different psychometric tests, and one of the indicators is a desire to learn. And once we know that people are in and they're developing, then of course it helps us, it helps our clients, and it helps the business. And it also makes them feel part of something moving forward. We set up the Academy three years ago, four years ago. We've had thousands of people through that, whether that's a, a web games or whether it's non-web games. It's open to everybody. You know, We just want everyone to learn and improve and, and get to know the industry better, raise a reputation, push out the fraud. You just do things the right way.
0: I'd love to hear more about the Academy. One thing that we've experienced, especially the last two years, has been a real difficulty in finding individuals who know what we do. One of the things we've toyed with is opening up our training to anybody so that we can, we love to help others start their career. And that doesn't necessarily mean just at JEB, but also to help us build a bench of people we know who've been through this training that we can kind of pull from. So tell me, it sounds like you guys are doing something. You've already done this. Tell me more about the academy.
1: Well, I mean, the background to it really was one of the previous roles I had before web games was working for an organization which is now called Tech Nation but it was called Tech City in the UK. It was run in conjunction with the UK government and actually sponsored by the then Prime Minister David Cameron and they realized that in order to be competitive with the world what, what the UK could do very well with was to sk- skill up with digital skills the whole of the UK and especially people who would normally otherwise not have access to education. So Of the thing, one of the projects I ran, it was called the Digital Business Academy. It was content from the Cambridge Judge Business School and um, University College London. Cost a lot of money to build these courses, they're all online and they're all free. So they were literally, you sign up, you could go through these six modules, all about learning the basics of digital marketing, digital business. And tens of thousands of people went through that course. And then the idea was we incentivized the learning through rewards. So if you if you completed your modules you could qualify for an internship with one of our partner organisations you could get discounts on tech stuff and as a result it surfaced some really interesting people that would never have normally had those opportunities as a kind of learning resource but also an ex- it was a kind of it was a social mobility thing because we found loads of ki- loads of kids that were just completely left out from education in mainstream hooking into the social media course or build a website course or how to be an entrepreneur course that literally had no opportunities other than that. And then all of a sudden they would get accelerated into a super startup. And then all of a sudden they're a product manager or they're a marketing manager. Or, you know, It was an absolutely incredible thing to see. So when I joined WebGains, you could just see that there was a massive gap in, in the whole industry of what's going on because it's so competitive. And everyone was slightly, I'd say, complacent or, you know, we do the way things we do. or blah, blah, blah. But I just thought, well, it can't be that difficult to create some basic 101s in affiliate marketing. So we did six courses. We used exactly the same techniques as the Digital Business Academy. We opened it for everybody. You know, there was no trick in it. There's no heavy selling in there. Of course, it's had our branding. And I think we got about a thousand signups in the first four months or something. It was really, really successful. And that was really organic. We weren't, really pushing it other than social. We didn't buy any media to to, to promote it. And it just showed us that there was a a fantastic opportunity. And of course, there's two things out of that. Well, three things, three benefits. One is our staff get, there's a standard and consistency of the training. The second thing is that anyone that comes through and gets through it and does very well, we can see them and therefore they're a a recruitment opportunity. And then thirdly, clearly we could see merchants and affiliates that weren't on our network. And so there was a sales and business development opportunity. So it's a no brainer. And it, it, it cost a bit of time and, and we used the, the guys that came in who were actually developers on the previous project back in uh, in the UK government have now joined us in web games, a couple of them. And so it was relatively straightforward. It was it was a quick project. We did it in about five months, I think. And then what that's iterated into now is we've moved on now and we have live sessions and we have spotlights on various different people. And actually we run CPD internally now. So we have a CPD program. So if you sit on a voice uh, an internal call or or you'd give a demo or, you know, you can gain CPD points and then that obviously helps you in terms of your career advancement. We insist on everyone doing the basic courses before they're even allowed a salary review or a promotion. But then, of course, if we see that somebody's super motivated, there's a number of expected behaviours we have in the business, whether that's trying to grow an account or making sure your quarantine is all checked off or your pending publishers are approved. You know, there's a load of sort of expected behaviours that we're trying to make sure that the Academy covers internally. And then externally, it's really on what makes a good program, what makes you a good manager in whether where you're an affiliate, whether you're a merchant, whether you're in a network, or whether you're not even in our industry. You know, What are the kinds of things that the expected behaviors that are going to accelerate your career? And again, going back to that point about why bother with this, we want to make people engage in our industry. I think having worked in it six years, which is a pretty short time compared to some people, it's a fantastic industry. It's an amazing place where... You're relying on trust from each other. You know, we, I will sell for you. You pay me the money on time and at the right amounts. And, and there's lots of trust that can be burned. There. So we, we're we trying to build that through the industry. And, you know, I've been quite critical of people over over the years. All I'm trying to do is raise the game. And I'm not saying that I can raise the game or we can raise the game. I'm just saying the game needs raising. There's lots of dark corners in affiliate. And we're we trying to shine a light on them because there's some bad guys around. And we want to make sure that that's outshined by the good guys.
0: That's tremendous, and and I, I I would disagree with you. I think one person can, one company can raise the bar in in the industry. I I love so much about what you talked about, and how you tied into. You even saw the social value of something like this. One of the things that I've run Jeb return eighteen years old in October. And the one thing I've seen consistently through that is you know, people who have the good foundation and building blocks, you know, they're, they're ambitious, they're humble, they're, they're smart, and they want to improve. They've, they've come in, they've learned a skill. They stayed yeah. with us for maybe three or, or even seven years. I think the longest employee we had was uh, 10 or 11 years. They've stayed with us for a period. And then they moved on to their next step. And that next step was much greater financial opportunity. And they were very upwardly mobile. And yeah. what we saw is there were some people, like you said, or they just got lost in the uh, education in. system and they never got there. And not only did it change like their lot in life and their advancement, but it completely changed generationally. Yeah. Now their generation was that generation was successful they were able to live a certain level of life that maybe their family had never achieved before and their kids see that as normal and yeah. it keeps going and so that that got so exciting to me of like how can we do that on a broader scale and not just bring people into the affiliate community and give us a pool of players to hire later but also really impact the community and those populations and classes that don't have college as an option or you know a, a typical path that was really exciting to me
1: yeah 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 i mean there's there's self-learning and if you look at the way that the digital world i mean i was reading something earlier about only fans i mean you know only fans has got its, its detractors and its supporters but there's no doubt about it it's giving people a route to income earning and uh, this will also you know eventually this will sort of spread out from from where it is at the moment into much more of a mass appeal you know, going back to my own origin story, I never—I always had the ambition. I always had the, the focus. I always wanted to do well. I just couldn't get out of the rut I was in when I was 18, 19, 20. I, I was having fun and having a great time. And then all of a sudden wall hit, hit the wall and there was nowhere to go. And the only thing, I applied for eight, 11 universities, 10 of them rejected me. And then one guy invited me for a chat. He gave me a chance and I took my shot. And, and you know, sometimes that's just what you need is that one thing that yeah. it gives you the transformational opportunity and then you grab it. And, and you know, I could say I was privileged. I, I you know, I, I didn't have a particularly tough upbringing. I had, a, I had a nice childhood, but other people don't. And education can set you free. Education, it's all about that. It's all about knowledge. It's all about confidence through through learning. And, you know, if there's one thing I'm really passionate about, it's that with my own children, it's you guys, you just got to keep going. And if it doesn't work, try, try a different way and, and try and learn something else, but just don't stop learning. If you stop learning, you, you, you stop growing and that's the end.
0: Yeah, we have so much in common. I also applied to every school in the state of Washington. I swear I heard some of them laugh when they got my application <laughs> in one school, let me in. And so much. So where does that drive to learn come from? Like, like was that something I too, I had a pretty privileged upbringing. But for you, where's that kind of come from? Is it always been there? Just you need to learn and then also help and lift other people up? Yeah, I don't
1: know. I mean, it's one of those, that's a psychological question. I just don't know. My, I do remember, I know this is going to sound even more nerdy than the, than the Commodore, but I remember- Bring on the nerd. As a kid, I used to read, I mean, this is terrible. I used to read telephone directories because I was fascinated by the patterns of of names. I was fascinated by the types of different name you could have, how many names there were, just that whole kind of, it, for me, it was like a novel and I just was always, always it. I could, I used to, when I was relaxing, I just used to look through things like that and just look at the the information. And I found it wow. absolutely intoxicating, which I know if somebody's listening to this is going to think, what an absolute nerd. But <laughs> uh, uh, but I guess it's a sign of, it's a sign of your brain pain. My grandfather was quite a successful accountant. He came from pretty much nothing. And after the Second World War, trained in the army to be accountant and then ended up becoming the top guy in the whole profession. He was, he brought the charter to the the ACCA, which is a big organization in, uh, in the UK and in fact the world now, he was the guy that got the charter for them to become a, a, a regulated body. And, you know, he was a very big inspiration for me. And then he died. And, and that, was a, that was a catalyst for me to think, just come on, get on with it and, and, and make your move. But uh, no, I, I don't know where it came from. I, I don't know. My dad's a musician. It's a completely different set of motivators. He's done quite well in his life. Without trying that hard, it seems, but he's a massively talented musician. So for me, it's a complete alien thing, and and he's not data driven at all. My mother died a long time ago, and she was a very good entrepreneur. So I we I didn't have a conventional upbringing. I didn't really live in a nine to five lifestyle, but I did have successful people around me, and you know they they kind of forged a path for me. But I don't know where the urge to learn was at school. I absolutely lost it in my second when I I loved learning until eleven, and then I went to a selective grammar school and then everybody else is smarter than I was and I got very discouraged. I did very well very badly in my exams and then I just lost confidence in learning. It was just going to university, which is not just about subject matter, it's all about just live how to learn and how to how to appreciate learning. And I mean again I, I, I remember really enjoying learning about the textile industry around the around the world and the Chinese 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 multifiber arrangement, which sounds so dry now, but I just couldn't get enough of it. It just felt like from there on I was always always fascinated with learning. In web Games, we you know, we encourage everybody to learn anything they want. We have a, a training allowance for everybody, they can learn anything. It can be making biscuits, it can be learning Chinese, it can be or Mandarin, it or it can be learning to fly. You know, it doesn't have to be anything to do with affiliate marketing. We have training loans, we encourage people to travel to other countries to just absorb the culture of another place just to stretch yourself. You know, that's really what we have. Because, I again, going back to the point, if you're learning, you're growing. And if you're not learning, you're not going anywhere. We'd rather have people learning anything than learning nothing.
0: Yeah, I've always found that even those other endeavors not related to affiliate marketing, whatever I'm learning, I always find either something about myself. That becomes incredibly valuable to the work that I'm doing. Yeah. Or it just gets me away, gets my mind lubricated, you know. And, mm, yeah, and yeah, yeah. there's things come back from that, even if it has nothing to do with, you know, no. the, the task at hand.
1: But there's also self-self-esteem from learning. There's self-confidence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone's got their self-esteem attached to something. And and one of the things I think we've struggled with, or human beings have struggled with over the last two years or two and a half years of of lockdown is that there's been nothing else except for work. And therefore, all your self esteem is all tied into your job and nothing else. And I think that's really where we're coming out of now is to try and make sure it's all balanced a bit and people are building their self esteem. Because you couldn't even have self esteem through relationships because you couldn't meet anybody. Yeah. And therefore, all it is is your job. And you're 24 7 thinking about work. And uh, that's very unhealthy. So, you know, the self esteem thing is very important. My kids, you know, working out where their self esteem sits. And my own self-esteem, you know, what am I proud of? People ask me that all the time. Do you, the, do you enjoy the job and what are you most proud of? I just, it's all little things. I'm not proud of anything big. I just, my self-esteem lies in, in seeing other people advancing and doing well. If I see somebody that, and I said this, in fact, this has happened to me recently, a guy I hired a long time ago, a good guy, a really nice guy. He was a boyfriend of, of our babysitter and we hired him into the business I was running. As a junior guy, and he did well, and he was a you know he was a good learner. And anyway, a few years later, it turns out uh, he rings me up and says, "Oh, I'm the, I'm your new client." <laughs> so he was head of oh, right performance on. for one of our for one of our biggest clients, and I'm just, it was really nice to see that he'd done really well and continues to do really well. And I always say to the juniors and the interns, "One day you'll be my boss, so you know I'm going to make sure you're a, <laughs> nice to you in a career that and flows." <laughs> and yeah, uh, that's- and as time goes on, I see more of the, more of that happening.
0: That's so great when, and especially for me too, when, when we, uh, and we work, many of our former employees are on the affiliate side now and we work with yeah. them on a regular basis. And it's great to see from a distance how they've continued to evolve and grow and, and do really great things for themselves. Yeah, exactly.
1: And I will always try and help. And if anyone ever has any kind of, oh, what should I do in my career? Or even in the business, you know, should I stay, should I go, what should I do? Go your own path and, and do your own thing. But I'll always help people as much as I possibly can. And like I say, you know, you never know where you need that help back in the future. You're always building the yeah. favor bank just for when you need it.
0: <laughs> totally, totally. So, you know, you talked a little bit about, we kind of touched on what the last two years have been like and, and how it's just been crazy managing through this turbulent time. You know has been difficult we've had a hot economy a pandemic two years of that we now have land war going on how have you managed through that how have you helped your team keep that ethos of always learning and in a time when we we couldn't sit next to each other and and sometimes it just feels crazy how do you how have you done that
1: yeah how have i done it Done it. what have we done we were one of the first things when i joined web games i realized that everybody was tied to their desks and they had their little nest around them and they had three screens and we tried to very early on just give everyone laptops so that they could work from home if they wanted to we tried to flip free up and flex add flexibility to the team many years well a few years before the pandemic hit and everyone was forced to work from home. So fortunately for us, when that kind of order came in, and I remember it was the 8th of March and I'd already decided that we were going to spend a lot of time closing, well, closing the offices and spending a lot of time at home, we were already ready. We didn't have to adapt at all. We were luckily uh, agile enough to make that leap pretty quickly. I can't remember whether we were already, I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure we were already using Microsoft Teams and everything was decentralized and, you know, there was no real dramatic flip from from pre-pandemic to pandemic the tricky thing was to make sure everybody was okay you know everybody was was was, was surviving it was a real you know get through the day job and we, there was lots of coaching we uh we employed a clinical psychologist so we offered that to everybody uh, for free um for, to book up to 10 sessions we were as flexible as we possibly could we had checking calls as a management team every sunday night just to say what we're wow. going to do this week and every Wednesday morning, at the beginning, it was every day just to check in with everybody they're Okay. And then, then it was every Wednesday, which, which we still, I think we still have that call. And yeah, we did. And people, some of the people fell by the wayside, so but by and large, everyone stuck together. We came, continued with our training sessions. We continued with, with work. And, and of course, our industry was fairly fortunate. The pandemic was a, was a tailwind. Everybody's locked down at home. Online sales went crazy. And therefore financially and professionally, it was a, a pretty strong time for web gains in, a, in a, a lot of our competitors going back to my point before about balanced portfolio we didn't have too many travel clients we didn't have too many big retailers we were very middle market we we're very online pure play and and they all did pretty well so we had a big acceleration in our in our numbers and i suppose as, as lockdowns opening up now we're seeing that settle back to earth and if you look at the industry you can see people like google Google's numbers yesterday were a bit flat. And some of these online black brands that had very good numbers over the last two years are now coming back to earth again, and it won't last forever. And what we're seeing is really we're kind of going back to normal again. There's a bit of a lag in in, um, persuading people to come back to the offices. But then the question is, do we have to get everybody back to the offices? That's something we're trialing at the moment. In some markets... They're doing it and it's okay. In London, it's a bit more difficult. London's a big city and traveling in and out of London is not very enjoyable. But I've said, I was on a call today, we have a duty to our junior members. We have a duty to our junior staff that aren't so experienced to pass on our knowledge to each other and to them. And they can't really do that on a voice, on a, on a, on a Teams chat. What you need is that asynchronous and synchronous learning. And, you know, there's nothing like sitting between two guys who know what they're doing when you don't know what you're doing. And then just having that, almost that knowledge by os- osmosis, just by those sort of random questions. And so therefore we can't just not have anyone together. I don't think that's going to work. There is a hybrid model. And, you know, the more we can physically spend time with it, the better. From our mental health, the more we can spend time physically with each other, the better. We're gregarious nature by species.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's one thing, you know, we've been looking at too, is we've expanded our employees are all over the country right now. And that hasn't, that wasn't the way we were before, but we've, you know, we've done lots of different things to continue the culture and, and to try and help our junior, your players. And that's something really important. I think leaders need, need to know. It's really hard to bring those people up on a zoom call or or a Slack channel. And so we're looking at how do we augment that with in-person things when everyone is distributed across Quite quite a, a large geographic area, yeah. But I like yeah. that how you said that that duty to we have a duty to those juniors, absolutely, to bring them yeah. up, and it's hard to do that on Zoom.
1: Yeah, and what we don't want as well is people coming to the office and just seeing on, on Teams calls. You know that isn't really what it's about. But what we want is the water cooler, the kitchen, the you know the crazy office games, the gossip from the TV and show up for. Whenever I go in the office, I don't talk about work with people. I just I ask them how they're doing. I ask them about their dog, about their family, about their holidays and just allow them to talk about and all i'm trying to do is find out a bit more about their non-work personality because you know that's what we're looking for these stars and rough i i have an interest in people's hidden superpowers everyone's got a hidden superpower that they don't tell you about and i just want to know about that not because i'm nosy or i'm intrusive i'm just i want them to shine it out and i want them to attach that their self-esteem to that not to just how many i mean of course it's important to do your job but just not just that it's forever
0: Are you enjoying the show this far we cover so many different strategies and stories on the podcast sometimes it can be difficult to keep up we get it it's why my team and i compiled the very best strategies and we counted 20 of them in affiliate marketing programs and put them together for you so you can assess the health of your affiliate program and be able to optimize it for the best possible results you can get that guide at jbcommerce.com strategies In the guide, we go over how to address your commission structure, your coupon strategies, 10 questions you need to ask to identify strategic opportunities, the many ways you can utilize your affiliate partners to react and pivot rapidly to our ever-changing ecosystem, and so much more. I want you to be able to access these strategies 100% for free simply for being a listener of the show. Get access to them today at jebcommerce.com strategies. Now, back to our show.
1: I've got a friend of mine who who I've worked with twice, hired her twice. And now all of a sudden, she always said to me she wanted to write a book. And now she's written a book. And now it's in top sellers in Canada and it's doing really well in the world. And, you know, they're the hidden dreams that people have that actually is what really is driving them. And if you can sort of tap into that, then then you're in a winner. And um, you know, a great story, really good story.
0: And there's people like that all over the place, but they just don't tell anyone. I love that hidden superpower. Well, you can't say that without me asking. What's yours? <laughs> <laughs> I speak
1: a few languages. I speak. I speak. You know, a few languages badly, and I absolutely, <laughs> I absolutely love that. I love the be. Able, I love being able to drop into a city and and have a conversation with a taxi driver or a shop assistant or a whatever. You know, and and ask them what their life's like and you know, I speak French and a bit of German and a bit of Italian and, and, and now slowly learning Spanish, a few words of sober Croatian. Wow. And I just I just, I just just really enjoy being around meeting people and, and talking to them in their own language. And sometimes that's difficult. If you go to Berlin and try to speak German, you know, you're going to get English back. If you go to Paris to speak French, you don't, and, and similar in, in Spain. But it's just, it gives you a color to your life. It gives you an interest in, in what else is going on. It gives you empathy for the world. I mean, even in, you know, it doesn't matter where you are if you if you tr- just try and meet them in the middle a little bit then you're going to get a lot more back so
0: that's i would say that was mine awesome love that We love to travel, and one of the things we're going to do in the next – now that we can travel again is we want to travel to some non-English-speaking countries. And that's the one thing we want to do is we want to be able to converse with the people and and go and experience the culture. It's hard to do that when you don't speak the language.
1: No, exactly. Absolutely right. And you've got lots of languages in the U.S. I mean, you don't have to go far. You've got Mm -hmm. Spanish, and you've got – you know, all sorts of other languages. And even there's the pockets of German speakers and pockets of French speakers. And there's, there's, there's languages in the U S it's just, you know,
0: definitely. Really we don't have to travel too far. <laughs> no. <laughs> so one of the questions I had for you is, and, and we talked about in the, in the prep call that I personally would love to hear how you do this. How do you balance as the CEO, the immediate fire in front of you? So definitely we had, uh, ample opportunity to confront different fires during the, the pandemic. How do you balance that with the long-term planning? You know, how do you make sure that you're, you're planning for the long-term, but also tackling, you know, the monster right in front of you? Yeah, I would say.
1: So there's a guy I'm, I'm a big disciple of. He's called Jeffrey Moore. He created a, uh, wrote a book a few years ago called Crossing the Chasm. And then he wrote another few, and there's another one called Escape Velocity. And then there's the – I'm a big sort of disciple of his work. And he, I don't know whether it's his concept or he borrowed it from someone else, but he talks about three horizons and the three horizon strategy. So you have your first horizon, which is BAU, business as usual. You're getting through the quarter. You have your second horizon, which is your kind of strategy and where you're going. And then you have your third horizon, which is, which is horizontal. So it's where, where are we, where are we headed for? You know, the, the AI stuff and the new technologies and working the cloud or even the Web3 stuff, that's definitely Horizon 3. So I try, to, I try to balance that. So obviously BAU, we've got a fantastic team. We've got a fantastic set of senior managers, leaders, and directors, as well as a great bunch of AMs. So really, everyone understands the day-to-day. I don't have to do too much on Horizon 1. You know, our strategy is working. We lose clients, we win clients, we lose affiliates, we win affiliates, we, we, we grow and we grow. But Horizon 1 for me, I'm pretty fortunate in terms of I have a great COO, I have great MDs. They, they, they know what they're doing. They're very experienced and they're very effective. So balancing Horizon 1 for me is fine. Horizon 2 I find very interesting. So you know I find myself in that quite a lot and I have to draw myself away from it sometimes. And that's really about building the next version of web games, whether that's from a technology point of view whether it's a, a MA conversation or whether it's uh, expanding into new markets you know that's the that's the kind of happy hunting ground for me and then i uh, the horizon 3 is very enjoyable so it's just kind of reading up on what's going on nft's web 3 it used to be ai it's now ai is now sort of bau for us and just anticipating i mean even things like the ukrainian war geopolitics you know where should we be looking out for? Where are the where are the things to where are the early warnings? Um, so that's you know in my head that's how it works, and we spend a lot of time as a management team talking about Horizon Two, and and I welcome input from the rest of the company or elsewhere on on where they think Horizon Three will be for us. So if that makes sense.
0: Oh, it does, and definitely just brought that book up. I have, heard, I think I've read it a long time ago, but yeah, definitely going the to bring that up. I... You know,
1: it talks about the various different powers of of industry and. And, you know, it's it just it's just evergreen. It's a bit like marketing. You know, I learned the four P's of marketing. Now there's like 5,000 5, P's of marketing. But for me, <laughs> price, product, place, promotion is never going to change. And it's from the <laughs> 80s and, you know, the, the original Tom Peters stuff, excellence and quality. Maybe I'm just stuck in the 80s and 90s. But, you know, those things don't go away. They can get reformed and you can have an internet version of them or there could be some new thing. But at the end of the day, humans are humans. We all have the same hierarchy of needs and that hasn't changed. So, you know, I, am I'm, I'm a pretty basic guy.
0: So let's talk about change. Talk to me about what have you seen affiliate marketing change? You talked about early on, like you had evaluated the affiliate channel as a publisher and rejected it. Now you're at web games. So like, what has, what have you seen change since that rejection? And then since starting at web games,
1: when you are in a, in a media house, which I was and and consulted on for a few years, it's all about money. So what you don't want to do is be take, it's, it's where's the risk? Where's the risk? So when you, when you're selling media, you want the advertiser to take the risk and pay for the media before they make the sale. So that, you know, that's what you want as a publisher. Yeah. Of course, what happened there was the the, the CPA, CPM, sorry, CPMs, the cost per thousands and the CPCs just started to erode because we had such an explosion of, of, of inventory to sell. Then you had the sales side platforms and then you just had so much content that you were trying to monetize. So, you know the, the CPAs just went to zero. I remember when you could get a hundred pounds a thousand impressions. You know, I, I'm back to those days. Yeah, and yeah. and now yeah, uh, you know, a hundred pounds could buy you millions and millions and millions of inventory. So that's died. You know, that's died as a model. And now you see a lot of these news media or whatever it is, they're now moving into subscriptions because they've seen the value of their inventory just just gone to nothing. And then now I'm in affiliate. I clearly have got a much more of an, Better understanding of an idea of of the ECPMs. So rather than CPAs and CPMs, the e- the value of a page and the value of a of a user and the, the value of a conversion, which has been really interesting. And I, you know, I'm fully behind the value of of affiliate. You know, it, the risk is then being taken by the media house and the, or the media owner, and then they get paid afterwards. But when they've got a lot of media, a lot of inventory, then you know they can afford to do that. Um, and then obviously the different types of affiliates. You've got the tech affiliates. You've got the retargeters the remarketers you know cpa is no longer a dirty word it's not a a dirty model it's it's a passive income model and people like that it's difficult to plan it but if you if you layer it properly then it can be a very very powerful income stream and then the influencers have come along and they're driving a particular trail in in what they're doing and that's been fascinating to see and then you've got instagram coming and now you can monetize that through your stores and you know the, the the sort of the iteration of the innovation and the monetization of all of these things is fascinating to see. So our challenge really as, as a network is to keep, keep on top of that stuff to make sure the way we track it is is accurate and it's honest, which is, you know, in these days of data privacy and, and cookie blocking and intelligent tracking prevention from the mobile devices is difficult, but then that doesn't mean it's impossible. We just need to innovate better all the time. So innovations need to stay in that you know we need to be honest and, and track properly and and uh, and bill properly and pay pay properly those are the things the table stakes to be in the game they're no, no longer differentiators. to say oh we can pay you weekly not monthly we should all be able to pay i feel it's daily if we want to we should be able to pay them in any in any currency and 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 also our merchants should pay on time and they shouldn't say oh we can't pay you now you've already had the sales You've had the sales. Yeah, you, yeah should pay for, you should pay the commissions. You got the money. <laughs> yeah, you got the money. You should pay the commission. So we don't. We don't like it when when people do that. We really hate it when when a merchant doesn't pay and then moves somewhere else. You know, that's the biggest bugbear I have. And when I arrived, it, it was like, what? You know, they're closing a program. They move somewhere else and they not paying affiliates. I mean, that's just stupid business. That seems to be slightly under control. And that used
0: to be a big, big problem
1: in the early two thousands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I think the word gets around and. You know, we networks don't necessarily talk to each other very much and only if they have to, but if they if there's one thing we talk about, it's it's not allowing that to happen. Pay your commissions, pay your override, and move on. Or pay your you know, whatever your platform you're using, just make sure you pay. The the bad debt issue is something that's you know very annoying in in the industry because you're paying after the sale. But if you manage it properly and if you've got a good network, then you'll be on top of it and everyone gets paid on time. So yeah. What else has changed? That that's changed. There's been a you know, over the over the last few years, there's been a bit of a technical arms race. We've had the networks that, you know, now is no longer good enough to have a, an okay performance. You cannot be down. You have to be fully online. You can't have a server system. You know, you can't have a sort of mainframe system anymore, um, like some of the old systems used to be. Obviously, the the, the like the partner rises or performance rises before that, an impact radius and now impact. You know, they're VC back. They're loss making. They're keeping everyone on their toes. We'll see how long that lasts. The prices have gone down. That's that's a big challenge. It's certainly, at the top of the market, there's a big race for the business at the bottom of the market with the startups. But in yeah. the end, you know, that's saying "turnover for vanity, profit for sanity, cash for reality" that's where it sits. You know, if you run out of cash, say that again.
0: Say that again. I haven't heard that.
1: have you? Turnover for vanity, turnover for vanity. I mean, have you have you watched We Crashed, the the the, the program about WeWork on Apple TV? You know, yeah. we Work was a fantastic business, but they bought turnover. They were buying their business. They're buying market share. When the valuations went the wrong way, everyone got funny. They wouldn't put any more money in. They run out of money. They went from a valuation of whatever it was 63 billion down to 8 billion. And of course, yes, they did float. But in the end, cash is reality. Turnover vanity, profit sanity, cash reality. If you run out of cash, you run out of options and the game's over. So, in the end, the cost of servicing an affiliate client or, or or paying out an affiliate, there is a cost to it. You know, it doesn't matter what you do, and you can you can make that as efficient as possible. Because our industry is an industry of relationships, it always is. I mean, if you're a if you're a ten week old startup, you're not going to get on Ebates, you're not going to get on Pay Payback, you're not going to get on Top Cashback, because no one's heard of you. You can't just plug it in and press a button and say, yeah, here's my offer to these guys. It's a relationship business and and therefore what we try and do is automate as much as we can around those relationships but in the end I don't think we'll ever get rid of the human part of affiliate marketing that's been there forever it's a it's a very difficult thing it's not programmatic. You know, there are ways that you could probably programati- uh, put programmatic units in so that you know you could optimize on social media or on content sites, but those offers and discount sites, they're not going to give you media unless they're going to convert. And, you know, there's so many brands, there's tens of thousands of brands. There's we've got 26 million products in our database. Where does a cashback site or where does a discount badger site go and find that stuff? We're trying to automate it. But you know, until until human beings are completely out of the race, then then they're very valuable. And again, going back to the never stop learning thing, we realise that the human relationships are so important. In our industry, and that probably is going to remain so. So, if we we can create people who are using them, you know, we we say it's all about minds and brains, not your hands. We want to automate. We want to optimize what's in your head, not what's on your fingertips. Because otherwise, it's just admin, and we don't want nobody wants to sit there doing admin the whole time. It's all about that. So, yeah, going back to the changes I've seen at the moment, we there's there's a there's a big race to the bottom at some some parts of the market. But it's not sustainable we're in the long game we're definitely second and third horizon on that
0: gotcha gotcha that's great you mentioned influencers so what does web gains how do you deal with influencers how do you how do you help make those transactions happen
1: web gains speaking we're not necessarily doing deals directly with the influencers themselves we do have some but not that many but we go through sub networks or we go through agents and brokers well, we we yeah, we, there's definitely we we have sneakerheads. We have we call them sneakerheads. They're the influencers around trainers, and sneakers in the UK, US. There are definitely people, but we, we we don't do the kind of super super long tail of the micro influencers just yet. We don't see a lot of corporate, but that doesn't mean that's not going to change. And and we're always looking at that. We're always looking at partners. We're always looking at things. It's it's a difficult one, and the conversion journey is very hard. You know, when you you've got. I feel quite sorry sometimes for for these guys because unless they've got that impulse purchase thing that they're going on you buy it right there and then, it's very difficult to reward an early stage influencer for something that then goes through six levels of, of evaluation and finally ends up with Klarna doing a doing a broken down payment system and they they get the uh, they get the last click commission. So we look very hard at that. One of the things that I kind of laugh not I laugh at but I almost despair at is this over-reliance or not over-reliance I can't I can't explain it but it's just kind of we have to reward everything all the time and be absolutely accurate on what stage of the of the journey the purchase was made you know there's there's a lot of intelligence that could be put in into that into where actually that moment of truth was where somebody makes the purchase decision and you know those early stage influencers do lo- lose that a lot but then again very few people will buy immediately, immediately off, a, off an influencer And a lot of stuff goes into cashback voucher and payment splits simply because they're at the end of the basket and there's a box that says, put your voucher code in here. So people go away and look for a voucher code and then they get (laughs) commission. We need to innovate around that. We need to be better on that because that's not really fair.
0: That's kind of the problem with all the data we have accessible through what we do is sometimes we rely too much on the data instead of the gut check of like, hey, we're going to reward this top of funnel guy because... Yeah, he started this journey and you may not have data on how it worked, but there's still you got to sometimes just make a gut check decision on who gets credit for that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And, you know, we are really we can see everything. We can see all the clicks. We can, you know, the way our technology works, we can pretty much see the whole journey everywhere. But it's very difficult to then translate that into into actually accurate decision making and, and accurate reward and you know that's what that's really where we, we put a lot of our innovation dollars into right now is to improve that but also building commission schemes on products you know one of the things that we i, I kind of see with my cmo hat on because i was cmo from, for a few years in different brands you don't really want to be paying a flat commission across everything you you'll have products that are limited edition or sort short run or you know High value. You, you want to be com- being building commissioning around specific SKUs or SKU groups for some certain periods of time. The whole sort of dynamic we call it smart commissioning. We have we have some modules around smart commissioning, and we want to be able to build innovations around almost set and forget around that, and and demand generation. And you know, if something if something unexpectedly sells out really quickly, then we want to be able to just put some automatic rules in there to say actually we're going to drop the commissions on this just to keep it fair. As opposed to saying, well, actually, where on that journey was that decision made? Which is, which is, we'll do that too, but but we see
0: it as less important as as actually optimizing that product journey. Do you find the affiliates have a problem with that automated commission change? Well, yes.
1: I had this conversation from the guy that developed it. He said, "Well, you know, what are you going to do? Because you're going to actually, you're killing yourself because you know you're you might drop your commissions and you make your overriding commissions." But I said, well, what happens if a merchant doesn't use a class of of affiliate because, you know, it's a much higher volume and all of a sudden we can set rules that mean that they can bring them in? And that's what's happened. So we've got a very big brand that never used to work with uh, comparisons shopping, CSS. Because of the rules we set, we now have them working very happily with CSS and, you know, under particular guidance. And we're making more money or they're paying out more commissions as a result. And therefore we make more override. So do the affiliates like it? It gives them more reach. It gives them more, more options. It gives them access to more emotions they probably wouldn't have got before. Not a lot of people on the brand side like discounting anything. They want to sell at full price. If you're selling your stuff, you're developing your products, you know, you you, you never develop your stuff with a discount in mind. You know, you're discounting yeah. because you want to accelerate sales or you've got a particular promotion or you've got some stock in the warehouse. But really, if you can be smart about it, you can probably set things up so that you can avoid discounting as much as you can or discounting when you really want to and need to and where where it can optimize a cross sell into something else as opposed to discounting for discounting
0: sake. That's definitely something that that we're seeing. My my last question for you is there's been a lot of investment in the channel the last two years, a lot of equity firms and VCs coming in and and some aggregation. How do you see that as impacting uh, the channel? Overall positive. I think it's about
1: time. I, I stood up in a presentation i think the first season i was working and i said listen guys this is a very comfy industry (laughs) everyone's having a lovely time i worked in disruptive industries for many years and this is a classic example of a disruptible industry if you don't get better you're going to get disrupted and you're going to be out and you know you can see a bit of that now because there's some consolidation of affiliates there's consolidation of networks there was one today Uh, german uh, network but another one and that's what we've seen you know first of all well both impact and partnerise two examples of of where they have heavily invested in their platform they've hev- heavily invested in their relationships with agencies and it's put pressure on everybody else whether that's staffing pressure or margin pressure and therefore it forces everybody else to be more efficient it forces everybody else to really really focus on what they're good at and build a f- aggressive a- offensive as well as defensive strategies so will that be there forever i don't know if if obviously those two people I've mentioned and the VCs behind them are happy with their growth trajectory and they support them with their continuous investment and through their rights profitability and whatever happens at the end, whether it's an IPO or trade sale or whatever, you know, good for them. I think the industry is big enough and strong enough for multiple players. It's good to have a choice. If you look at the actual cost, unit cost of delivering affiliate campaigns plus uh, from a technical point of view, plus the unit cost of the hours that's spent on building and, developing affiliate relationships, there is a marginal cost and a marginal utility. Underneath that is is just kind of false business. So, you know, I would say if you're building your business as an agency or a network on a loss-making business, you need to basically do a a second and third horizon plan for when those costs rise because they will. The network, you know, this is a bit of sort of self-elevation. You know, the network offer is a one-stop shop. You know, we're all investing in our technology. We're all investing in our um, abilities. We're all investing in our customer services. We're all investing in, in our clients and stakeholders. So, I think there's a long-term plan for that. You know, we, there's definitely space. We're doing pretty well. We'll continue to do pretty well. We're well set up for it. We're not overextended. We make profits in every market we work in. We only work in a market that makes profits. We've closed them down in the past. We're attractive as an employer, so we do bring in great people and we develop them very he- heavily. So. Yeah. Where do I see the the VC-backed businesses? I think it's a really good wake-up call for everybody. And then I'm very interested to see how it all plays out in the end. It will be an end. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Richard, if, if someone's listening to this and they want to learn more about web gains or continue the conversation with you, what's the best way for them to find out more about web gains and then to either follow or contact you?
1: Well, of course, you know, there's Web games. We have a website, webgames.com. The Academy is academy.webgames.com. You can have a look there. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm very happy to speak to anyone anytime. any time. We, we welcome anything from anyone. Always interesting to, to meet new people.
0: Awesome. Well, I have learned a ton today. You have sort of rekindled my inspiration for our training program here. And I I really appreciate that. I'm definitely going to go check out the Academy and everything. Really enjoyed this conversation from Commodore 64 to, you know, investment in the future. So I appreciate your time today. And I will include those links in our show notes so that our listeners can continue the conversation with you and with WebGates. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks very much. Well, first off, I just realized I say that with every podcast outro, but first off, Richard, thank you so much for this conversation. I have really enjoyed getting to know you, hearing your story, your evolution, how you lead and and really how a lot of things impacted you to get you to this point. And, And hey, who doesn't love a story? that starts with the Commodore 64, and has reading phone directories in it. I mean, that was awesome. And you know, this is a safe place to nerd out. But Richard, thank you so much for your time today. Love hearing your perspective on so many things. And we really talked about a whole lot. I loved how you lead your organization. And I was thinking, you know, I've been running organ, you know, my companies for 18 years now, and uh, I don't think I could work for anyone again, but I love how you lead. And, and definitely, Richard, you're on a very short list of people that I know I would love to work for. So for our listeners and what i really want you to you know hopefully you you picked up on was that that style of leadership and the, the different horizons and how richard and webgains look at that so they're able to navigate through uh, turbulent times we talked a lot about diversification and something that he started doing at webgains to make sure that any volatile things that happen wouldn't impact The company overall and i was thinking at the time how important that is for for networks for agencies and for affiliates to really make sure their income is distributed across different classes and also advertisers one thing that the affiliate channel brings to advertisers is that distribution you're not just relying on one channel or one type of traffic source, you have it distributed. So if something interrupts, and let's talk, we've had a lot of some things interrupt. We've had a housing crisis in the last six years. We've had a recession, we've had a pandemic, we've had a hot economic market, we have a land war going on right now. There is a ton of things. We've had logistical problems from the pandemic that we haven't experienced. So there is a ton of turbulence that we never thought would happen that is happening now. And it makes the affiliate channel that much more important because it distributes risk and allows you to adapt very quickly and move budget into much different things that are working. So we we definitely talked about that. I want to uh, bring that to you, but also the Academy. And that is the address is academy.webgains.com. So definitely, I'm going to check that out. That was a great part of the conversation. But I really enjoyed the part about smart commissionings, influencers, and really how our industry is a disruptible in- industry. And here's, here's what he said I wrote down. If you don't get better, you will be out. And what we're seeing in our industry right now is it's a disruptible industry. We're seeing VC money, equity firms come into it, aggregation on all sides, networks, agencies, advertisers, all of that, affiliates, all of that is changing things. And that requires each of us to get better or we will be left behind. So that's my question I'll leave to you. How are you getting better so that you aren't left behind in the coming years as the channel keeps evolving. Well, I want to thank you for listening. You've made it this far. So hopefully you've found this enjoyable. If you have, please share it on all your socials, Facebook, Twitter, Anywhere share this podcast. If you know someone who would benefit from this particular discussion, then send it directly over to them. And please, it helps us get the word out more. If you leave us a five-star recommendation, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or the podcast player of your choice, really helps us get this podcast out to more people. So we would appreciate that recommendation. And like I said in the intro, if you need help, you want to know like what's the best strategy going forward? What if Affiliate should I be working with? How do you grow exponentially through the affiliate channel? How much, what percentage of revenue you should be getting from a healthy affiliate channel or what technology is available? Any of those things. I would love to help with you. Again, no cost, no obligation. You can get help two ways. Email me at gethelp at jbcommerce.com or go to calendly.com slash Jamie Find some time and we will have that chat. So definitely want to make sure you are uh, aware of that. Well, thank you for listening. Like I said, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Richard Denny's. Uh, Richard, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to, to get to know you and appreciate you taking that time. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast.